So if anyone is a previous listener of my old podcast, The Church of Housewives, you'll know that a little over a year ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Tamara Judge, and after that, we maintained a relationship and became what I thought were, at the very least, internet friends. We chatted a lot. Like, daily. Uh, I remember during the inauguration last year, we were DMing the whole time, freaking out together over Lady Gaga performing and talking about how hot JLo looked. So, you know, in my eyes, it was a legitimate connection. And I hope she felt the same way. I really enjoyed chatting with her, always. But obviously, one thing that I really loved was chatting about the housewives. She spilled a lot of tea. Now, keep in mind, this was during last season when she had just been fired. She wasn't yet doing her own podcast, so I think I was an ear to listen to, uh, anything that she wanted to get off of her chest, or things that she wanted to say about the show, but now she didn't really have an outlet or anyone to say them to. So I think I, and maybe others, but definitely I, filled that role. But like I said, I greatly benefited from it. Just talking to a real housewife on a personal level was huge as a fan, but more importantly, she was giving me information to take back to my podcast. And she knew this. I would go to her and ask her questions on the record. I would frequently quote her on the podcast or on our social media. I would share funny things that she would say. I remember one time, in fact, I screenshotted and shared a message that she sent me about Shannon and David Bedore. And it was really funny and really shady. And she saw that I shared it and she replied something like, oh boy, I'm going to get in some trouble for that, but who fucking cares? You know, something along those lines. So the vibe that I always got was that she didn't give a fuck. And there were all also plenty of times where I would ask her things and I would say specifically like this is off the record just between you and me so in my eyes the relationship the dynamic it was clear I first noticed that she started to engage less and communicate less once she joined the 2T's podcast which I get she's busy but she still to this day watches every single story I post on that account. Uh, she doesn't follow the blonde hair black heart socials, but over on the Church of Housewives, she still sees everything that I post. And she's often said on her podcast that she gets all of her tea from Instagram. Uh, and there have been at least two instances that I've caught listening to her show where she's directly using information that I either gave to her or I posted and she saw on our account. Now, I know you're probably thinking, how do I know that she took it from me? She could be getting tea from any other Bravo account. And, you know, she probably is for sure getting info from a lot of accounts. But in these specific instances, it was clear that she was taking information from our account because, well, okay. So one of the instances was regarding rumors about Dr. Jen on The Real Housewives of Orange County. And I went straight to Dr. Jen and I asked her to give me a comment on the rumors, and she did. So I posted it kind of as like her official statement. And at that point, and even after that, I didn't see any other statements or comments from her directly on the subject. That week, Tamara talks about this rumor on her podcast and says Dr. Jen responded to a fan and she quotes exactly verbatim what Dr. Jen had said to me and that I had posted. So it was pretty obvious. And, you know, she didn't cite me as her source, which is something that I learned to do in middle school. Uh, she could have easily, you know, at least thrown out my IG handle or something, but she didn't. And was I bummed about it? Of course. But was I mad at her? Absolutely not. Cut to a few weeks later, when Nicole James didn't go to Cabo and she stopped filming, there were a ton of rumors swirling even before that, but especially then about why she stopped filming. Uh, when people saw that she didn't go on the trip, there were talks about 
her being an anti-vaxxer and her refusing to get vaccinated, so they had to can her. So I DM'd Tamara, and I sent her a post with these accusations about Nicole being anti-vax, and I straight up said, these are the rumors swirling about this. Can you confirm or deny that this would be something she would be fired for? Like, did you guys have to get vaccinated to film Girls Trip? And she basically responded something along the lines of like, no, uh, that's, that's BS. She wouldn't have been able to have filmed, period, if she wasn't vaccinated. So I was like, cool, thanks for clearing that up. Do you happen to know why she stopped filming? And she was just like, no, I don't, but I'll ask her. So I screenshotted that little portion of the convo and I posted it. And I, I think I said something like, Tamara's going to get us the tea or Tamara's going to go find out the truth or something like that. Within seconds, like literally it was less than a minute, I swear to God, Tamara was messaging me so pissed off, like, not cool, dude. That's our personal conversation. Take it down now. I was like, okay, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't realize it was an issue. And she goes, yeah, it's an issue. So I take it down. And like, okay, here's my thing. I understand that just going and posting a conversation can feel like a violation of trust, privacy, whatever. But like I said, to me, it was clear that our relationship was at least somewhat transactional in regards to like Bravo news and gossip. So I truly didn't think it was an issue. Also, she didn't spill any real tea. All she said was, I don't know, but I'll try and find out. And I posted it like, yeah, Tamara's going to go find out the info. Go listen to her podcast and she'll get the tea. Like, it was an ad for the Two Teas podcast. But whatever, I took it down. And of course, the next day on her podcast, she's discussing the Nicole James rumors. So again, very obvious. She just didn't want to be scooped. Uh, so at this point, it's clear to me that we are no longer friends or acquaintances or whatever we were. We're just competitors in, like, the podcast space. <laughs> so this was all weeks and weeks ago that this played out. And like I said, I told this story on the Church of Housewives. But a few days ago, I was listening to the Two Ts podcast. <laughs> I've got to stop listening to that damn show. But Tamara reads aloud on the podcast a text conversation between she and Heather Dubrow. And it wasn't like a cute, funny convo. It was one where Heather had texted Tamara because she was pissed about something that was said about her on the podcast. And what does Tamara do? She immediately goes on the podcast and reads the text. So how is that any different than what I did? If anything, isn't it worse? I, I was honestly taken aback, but I wasn't shocked. Like I said, she's no longer a housewife. She is a Bravo fan and a podcaster. <laughs> so... I guess I'm Team Shannon now. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I will always love and respect Tamara for what she brought to the Real Housewives of Orange County. And when we were communicating, I always told everyone how much I loved her. I thought she was so funny, such a blast. Do I think she's a hypocrite? Yes, <laughs> she's definitely a hypocrite. But you know what they say. That's my opinion! Okay, gang, let's talk Celebrity Big Brother. The season has come to an end, and whew, what a season it was. Now, I don't say that as someone who necessarily enjoyed the season, but um, more as someone who is happy to have made it through alive. It was a very difficult and unenjoyable season of Big Brother, and there are several reasons as to why I don't think it worked or was successful. First of all, it was clear from the jump that more than half, probably like 75% of the cast, was completely unfamiliar with the show. 
I don't know why the producers would cast a bunch of celebrities who have no clue what the show's even about, but I'm actually surprised that in doing so, they wouldn't at least tell the contestants, like, you guys have to go binge three or four seasons before coming into the house. There were just so many players who were, like, completely and utterly confused, and I think this is why they couldn't even really do any twists. I mean, they had that one Mon Juan hat twist, but that was basically just, like, a quick game of hot potato. And any other surprises would have just been too much, because as it was, you had players who literally didn't even know how evicting works. Um, it also wasn't just about like the competition gameplay, like how comps worked or the basic flow of the game. It was also the social aspect that people just did not get. So for example, let's talk about what went down with Shayna. So in the beginning, Shayna was teamed up with Chris Kirkpatrick. <laughs> That's so hard to say. I'm glad I'm never going to have to say it again. Chris Kirkpatrick, um, but obviously, you know, she was working the whole house during those first few weeks and trying to make connections with everyone. That's like literally the point. So in the beginning, we saw pretty much everyone in multiple alliances, Todrick, Cynthia, and Carson included. So when Todrick flipped the script on Shayna and convinced Cynthia and Carson that Shayna was working both sides because weeks prior she had been talking to them, these idiots believed him because they have no understanding of how the game works. Shayna even tried to explain to them. She was playing both sides, sure, but look who she stayed loyal to. She went against Misha's HOH noms, and she saved you, Carson. So even if she was talking to other people and telling them what they wanted to hear or what they needed to hear to keep her safe, she ultimately was on your side. They just didn't understand. Cynthia and Carson even kept saying, like, we're gonna get through this whole game without ever telling a lie. And it's like... <laughs> That's a different game, guys. That is not Big Brother. You cannot play that way. So if you're going to get mad at someone for lying, at least get mad at the person who's lying to you. Shayna was lying to Misha and Todrick. The proof is in the pudding, Carson. Like, look at the damn pudding. Because of this, you know, the fact that no one knew what the hell to do, Misha was able to steamroll every single comp and be HOH week after week, and Todrick was able to ride her coattails and con everyone in the house and manipulate the shit out of people. And honestly, I would say that Todrick played an incredible game if it weren't for all of the unnecessary shit talking that he did. It's one thing to lie and manipulate and turn people against each other. Again, that's literally the game. But after people were eliminated, he continued to shit talk and degrade them, and he went really low. Which brings me to the second reason why I don't think this season of Celebrity Big Brother worked. Jury management. It's such a crucial part of the Big Brother game in general, but in this instance, when the eliminated house guests aren't going into the isolation of the jury house, it changes everything. They're going home, watching every single episode and all of the live feeds, seeing things play out on social media, so there are no secrets. It completely changes the game. And it's the reason why Todrick only had one vote, and that was from Cynthia, who was just eliminated and she hadn't had a chance to watch anything. But like, look at Todd, for example. He was eliminated one day, and on his exit interview, he's praising Todrick's game to Julie, he goes home, and the next day he's tweeting about how awful Todrick is, uh, just by what he's seen on social media. I mean, there was no chance for him to have even watched any of the show during that time before his tune changed. So then Todd comes back and he can't even contain himself during Todrick's final speech. He's rolling his eyes so far back in his head, he's looking at his own brain. And apparently Todrick and Misha see this playback from inside the house, and after Todrick's speech, when they went to commercial, I guess he flips out, and after the episode wraps, he storms off and locks himself in his dressing room, he refuses to come out, he cancelled all press and media appearances that he was supposed to do, and here we are, days later, and he is still nowhere to be seen. So, to quote his favorite movie...
uh, I'm evil. So unfortunately, Shayna did not win America's Favorite Player, despite me voting for her like four times. What the fuck? Stop the count. It was stolen. Um, but I really wanted it to go to her. I think she deserved it. Um, I think she played amazingly, but mostly I think she deserved it because of what she had to put up with in the house. And this next part, I have no way of making funny and I'm not even going to try to. So after Shayna left the Big Brother house, she went home to her boyfriend, and last Thursday morning, he went live on her Instagram, basically going crazy and ranting and raving about her, calling her a whore, saying she was cheating on him with a neighbor, uh, he was belligerent, he was misogynistic, he was anti-Semitic, he really checked all of the boxes. Um, but apparently the police were called, Shayna was found with visible bruising on her, and he was arrested. Uh, so I guess while she was in the house a few weeks back, he was also going crazy on social media claiming that she was flirting with Lamar while she was in the house. So all of this is really, really fucked up. It's super scary, and I hope that he stays the hell away from her. But all of this highlights why what Shayna was subjected to inside the Big Brother house is so fucked up and, frankly, really dangerous. Todrick, Misha, even Cynthia talked a lot of shit about Shayna in a very similar way to how her boyfriend was talking about her. They judged her for the clothes that she wore, you know, leggings and a tank top, which like anyone who's ever watched Big Brother knows that that's literally what all of the girls wear. Um, they ragged on her looks and they claimed that she was playing the game leading with her sexuality. But like we all watched uh, their live feeds and I for one never saw that happen. And hearing it all come up from Misha isn't exactly surprising because she's a big Trumper. So, you know, no shock there. Uh, I, I would assume that there's some deep rooted misogyny. Um, and I'm also not surprised about Todrick because he's clearly a piece of shit. But I was super disappointed in Cynthia because she's better than that. But mostly because Cynthia talking about anyone being inappropriate sexually is such a joke considering her tits had more screen time on The Real Housewives of Atlanta than her daughter Noelle. And that's not even a read or a joke, it's just a fact. So moving forward, what I would like to see from Celebrity Big Brother, obviously, is people who know and understand the game. <laughs> um, I would also like to see some more interesting celebrities. Um, so I have compiled a list of my dream celebrity Big Brother ensemble cast. Now, it's not a full cast. Um, it's just a handful of people, and then y'all can build around them. But these are my picks. And I have no clue if any of these people are even fans of Big Brother. So like I said, they would be required to binge the show and get a very good understanding of the gameplay in order to participate. Okay, so here's my list. Spencer Pratt. I'm not a fan. I'm Team LC. But he's most certainly a sociopath, or at least, like, sociopath adjacent. So I think he could be really good at the social aspect of the game and all the manipulation. Uh, we know that he can brainwash a pretty girl into thinking he's a decent guy, so I'm sure he could trick some people into aligning with him. Uh, which would ultimately be good for them, because he's so douchey that if you did align with him, he would always be the first target, because people would want him out of the house. Bethany Frankel. She's a business genius. She's incredibly smart and tactical, so I think that she would also do very well. I think that she's someone who notices little things, so I think she could pick up on key pieces of info that people wouldn't realize that they're revealing. Uh, she does have a bit of an ego, which would hinder her in some ways, but would also be very entertaining on this type of show. Vinny from Jersey Shore. 
He's arguably the smartest one from the Shorehouse, which, let's be real, it's not like Snooki in the situation set a high bar, but uh, he's really low-key while still being fun and funny, so I think that he would be a good neutral player in the house until the end of the game, and then I think he could really step up his comp game and take over. Uh, but in the beginning, I think he'd be a good floater because he's just all around a likable guy. Tori Spelling. Just mess. She she would be a mess. Um, like a totally entertaining mess. <laughs> Competitions, a mess. Social game, a crying mess. I, I would be thoroughly entertained. And I am also petitioning for her to join the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for these same reasons. Kathy Griffin. She's hilarious, and I think that she's more competitive than we know. Um, I think that she's also smart enough to play people and do it well, and I think that she would be like Ross Matthews from season one, but with more of an edge. Okay, and lastly, Leah Remini. I feel like I don't even need to explain this one. Just think about it. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, guys, I'm here with my friend. He's an actor and host who has worked with Disney, Microsoft, Amazon, and most recently, and maybe most impressively, Marvel Entertainment. As the host of Marvel's Let's Play and on the red carpet interviewing all of the superheroes, villains, and everything in between at premieres of movies like Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home. Guys and gals, my good friend, Josh Saleh. Thank you. That's an awesome introduction. What's up, Blake? How you doing? How are you, man? I'm good. It's been, I don't know, 10 years since we've last like talked. Cabrillo, I think, was the last thing, right? No, 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 no. We saw each other a lot when we lived in LA. We would, we okay, would take you're it. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Right, you're but right, you're but right. I was I was trying to tell, I was telling my husband like how who you were. He was like, who's this Josh guy? Uh, and so I was like, oh, I'm trying to explain how I know you. And I was like, I don't even fucking know how I know him. Like, I know that we were both doing theater in Santa Cruz, like at the same time, but we never did a show together. Oh, you so, were in Hairspray and I was in Full Monty, I believe, right? Oh yes, that was it. Yeah. And then I know you were good friends with Chris Waters, who yes. I love. Yes. And he was in Hairspray with me. Um, so yeah, so we were just kind of like crossing paths and, oh yeah, you were in the Full Monty. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> you really let it all hang out. Literally all hang out. Yeah. Women would throw their panties on stage. Yeah, oh that was my gosh. I mean, Santa Cruz is wild, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was such a fun time though. I mean, a lifetime ago, you were going to UC Santa Cruz. You were a, a banana slug, right? Yeah. <laughs> slugging along. What, slugging a, along. what a weird mascot, just gotta say. Uh, yeah, and then I was doing like summer stock theater at Cabrillo, like you said. Uh, so yeah, we, we kicked it a bit there, but no, we actually, I think when we became like really good buddies is when we were living in LA. I think we hung out more um, and less through like mutual friends, but like we actually got to know each other better. And that's when I like really got to learn what a funny, charming, charismatic oh. guy you are. I mean, honestly, Josh, you're like the life of the party. So it it's it makes a lot of sense that you would make that segue from acting into hosting and kind of being a personality because you are such a personality. So I want to talk about how you got into hosting. Like, what was your first hosting gig, and how did you make that transition from an actor into a host? Great question. Well, they never teach you anything about hosting in any type of school that I ever heard of. I never even knew it was a career choice or a possibility to become a career. So I was an actor for many years throughout college, high school, and even after. 
And I kept on almost getting the part. It was always between me and somebody else and always hit the same wall of you don't have enough social media followers. You don't have enough uh, TV credits and things I couldn't really control because I was like, okay, well, please give me the chance so I can show you that I have the talent for it. Right. And so I kept on hitting that roadblock. And after about three, four years of that, I was kind of losing steam in what I love to do for so long. And Marvel had this audition that came up on Actors Access looking for someone who loves video games, comic books, and the Marvel world. I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I'm a huge nerd when it comes to that. Let's see what happens. I submitted a video. They asked for me to come back. I met in person. They asked for me to come back again. And next thing I know, I was hosting with them at video game award shows, video game uh, conventions, comic cons, and more. And I couldn't believe that now here I am as like the voice of of a show called Marvel Let's Play where I interview game developers for their video games and getting to be myself and nerd out with all these other people and that kind of avalanche to Amazon and Microsoft and more to where you're just basically yourself showcasing this awesome, incredible work that these people have done. And it's like, wow, I don't have to memorize a script. I don't have to pretend to be somebody else. I can just love what I love and, and that's it, yeah. Now, does that any or does that add any sort of pressure? Uh, because there is no script, there is no character that you're hiding behind. I mean, it is all you. So, does that intimidate you at all, knowing that like you you are just going out there as yourself, fully vulnerable? It made me more comfortable actually, because every time I would act in theater or movies, I would always want to read the what the critics said. Oh man, what do people think of me? What what are my friends and family? What are these people I don't even know, these strangers that write articles? Did they do they think I portrayed this character correctly? And I'd put all this pressure on myself. It's like, well, man, that's not fair. That, that would always like stop me in my tracks, in a sense. And the criticism for me being myself is there. I mean, there is that. We're gonna say, oh, he was too energetic. Oh, <laughs> he smiled too much. Oh, he was, I was like, whatever. Like it's me. I, I know right. I'm comfortable in my own body and my own skin, but being somebody else on stage, that's where I lose that confidence because. There's so many renditions of a certain character that we've all seen, for example, Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And I think that tells you that you are exactly where you're supposed to be, because I think for most actors, they find comfort in hiding behind a character and they get they they have like a little bit of solace and like, OK, I can go up there and do anything. And it's not me. I am, you know, just the stripper in the full Monty, you know, <laughs> uh, but but it's, you know, this attitude that you have, it, it comes from confidence and uh, self-assuredness and not cockiness. I mean, it, it is confidence in, in the best way. Uh, and like I said, you are exactly where you're supposed to be because you know you aren't worried about what other people are thinking you aren't worried about what uh what you look like you're just fully you and how awesome is that that you get to do that and call it work it's it's actually unbelievable uh, throughout my years being an actor as i was younger I would, i'd be casting a lot of for full monty for example a lot of roles where i had to like take off articles of clothing, right. hair, and you know some other shows I've done, especially Santa Cruz. I'm not saying it's like a negative thing, but Santa Cruz is very, we're, we're open, we're free. We're like, you know, the body should be celebrated and loved as it should be. Right. Uh, but yeah, I it's a, it. yeah. Santa Cruz is a Santa Cruz is a funny place. <laughs> we, we could go down a rabbit hole talking about Santa Cruz. <laughs> yes, but I would find myself a lot in a roles where I had to take off articles of clothing, especially when I got into Los Angeles after Santa Cruz. And I would be like, okay, I'm kind of getting, you know, put into these roles where, I can do them. I'm feeling confident in them, but it's not what I, it's not why I got into acting. This is not right. why I studied theater to, to do this. So the craft, the craft <laughs> of taking your pants off. <laughs> so I, I'm also feeling a sense of, I guess, not, I guess just like tiredness of, of doing the same thing almost over and over again, just as different roles. And I wanted to do, 
and I wanted to do more things, but all of the bigger media roles, I never really got a chance to do. Right, right. Well, I, I understand that. And I think uh, you've taken a huge leap into a world that is, um, like you said, fully unknown. And because it's not something that is crafted in the same way that that like theater acting is, you know, people, I don't know anyone that goes and studies hosting for four years, you know, and like, yes, I'm doing the Stanislavski method of method of hosting, you know, like, what is that? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that, that opens up so many new opportunities because there is no right or wrong way to do it. And you're creating a new lane for yourself. So yeah. Awesome. It's, it's super awesome. Thank um, you. okay. So now I, I, before we dive into Marvel, I need you to help me out a little bit. I am a okay. total noob, so to speak. I know that's like nerd culture. Um, <laughs> I, I Googled it. I'm a noob. Um, uh, when it comes to like superheroes and comic book culture as a whole, honestly, I told you, I was like, I'm going to do my research. I'm a professional. I tried, I logged onto Disney plus and I like went to the Marvel screen and I was like, holy shit, there are so many movies and like, you have to watch them in order, I think. So I was so intimidated. I didn't even start, honestly. Um, so I need you, a Marvel expert, to help me, a Marvel moron, learn about this cinematic universe. Like, give me Marvel for dummies right now. Just kind of the best you can help me understand who all the players are, what's going on. There's like a ring, there's a glove. I don't know. It's a great question. I think there's 27 movies. What so, the hell? <laughs> so good luck watching that over the weekend. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> That's what I said I was going to do. I texted you on Friday and I was like, I got this, Josh. I'm going to sit down and watch watch them. And I didn't even watch one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like over 60 hours of content. I, my goodness. It's it's hard. If you, if you didn't start when it first started happening, I mean, I can't imagine jumping in now. Uh, but okay, so to give it in the best way possible, imagine if superheroes existed in our world today. Heroes with powers that could craft spells, heroes with the abilities of a god that could control thunder, heroes with tons of money that could create suits of armor that can potentially fly. Iron Man, I know that one. Hey, there we go. Do you know about the Thunder one? Who's the Thunder I, one? I have um, Chris I'm Hemsworth. Guess. Oh, oh, um, uh, Thor. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we I, go. I only know that because he's hot as hell. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I put him in here, actually. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Blake's gonna like this. <laughs> Blake's gonna like this one. Uh, and then also in this world, there's also villains, right? Villains from far off worlds that could end life with the snap of a finger. Villains who want wealth, power, and eternal life much like the villains we have in our day-to-day -day world now. Now, all these characters have relatable motivations and characteristics that are easy for the reader or the viewer to relate to. For example, a young Peter Parker, who is Spider-Man, is also going through school and college while also being broke with, you know, with no way to spend to pay for anything. And a lot of our generation and younger generations are, can relate to that very easily, especially with housing increasing exponentially. Now, there's also mutants, which have a specific gene in their DNA that give them powers. And those people are treated differently and put in concentration camps. And that is from, uh, from back in the day, you know, during the Holocaust. And that was kind of written from that. So all these historical moments in our world are written in comic book ways of life. But imagine if there were heroes and imagine if there were villains instead of, you know, the, the kind of people that we knew from back in the history. Now, these stories throughout Marvel Universe are inspired from all those real events, and they are moments that we kind of wish there were heroes to save us. 
there are moments right now that are happening in our world that we kind of wish heroes existed and to save us. And this creates a fictional world where that exists, but also represents the weight and consequence of that. Or if there were heroes, what would that mean? And how would we react? Wow, that's heavy. And and it it leads into another question that I had, which was, you know, why do you think uh, these types of stories resonate so much? You know, uh, a lot of these superheroes have been around for decades and decades, and um, they they seem to f- always find a new life in yeah. pop culture and in the zeitgeist every you know every ten years or so. Um, so why is it that you think that you know these stories remain so impactful to us? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, Marvel characters ever since the '60s, I believe, is when they started. They, they never truly leave us. Spider-Man is still written to this day. Wolverine, other characters are still written to this day. And they each go through their own kind of phase of different writers, different artists, different editors, et cetera. And each phase has its own different storyline. And the way that makes it so powerful is the way readers can relate to it. Back in the day, Tony Stark had a drinking problem, uh, I think in the early 70s and 80s. And that was a way readers could connect that. Uh, Spider-Man in the sense of being a broke college and high school kid and having to fend for themselves. Uh, Thor, for example, has a big sibling and father dynamic where he's grappling with his identity and grappling with his father. And all, all of these ways, I mean, we don't have superheroes other than, you know, we don't have people with powers. We do have superheroes in our life, but we don't have people right. with powers in our life. And you, it's hard for us to relate to someone who could fly because... I mean, I, I don't, can't speak for everyone, but I can't imagine anyone can fly right now. <laughs> but we can relate to what goes on in our life, like mental issues. We can relate to sibling and, and, and parental issues and financial issues. And that, those are the ways that as readers, you can find your own root in the tree of Marvel. You can be like, okay, cool. I have, I'm dealing with this right now. This is the character I want to read. And you can switch to whatever. If you feel like, you know what? I'm over my... XYZ issue. I, I'm good with that character. I can move to another character and, and kind of like leap over to the next one and go from there. Yeah. So, I mean, basically what you're saying is that at the core of it all, there's a lot of humanity, even though these yeah. people are superhuman, they, you know, they have a lot of real life issues and situations that they're going through, which make them relatable and um, not so uh, out of touch for the viewer, the reader. Um, and that makes sense in a lot of these characters who are regular people who just like stumble upon a power, like uh, a Tony Stark who invents it or a Spider-Man yeah. who gets bitten, you know? Um, what about like, I, you know, I, a lot of the Marvel characters are like space aliens, right? There's like a whole, like, like there's like a Tons. galaxy so that, that needs guarding apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what's the deal there? I mean, when when you kind of delve out of the, the like earthbound uh, elements of Marvel, do they still have those um, relatable human characters even when we're up in space? Like I've seen, I, like what's Groot about? Yeah, great question. There's a, there was a run where Groot actually speaks which was like, whoa, this is wild. He's saying more than I am Groot. This is insane. I had to get used to it. Uh, <laughs> but I think in the same vein of that is there's still people, there's still characters. And when it comes to the Guardians of the Galaxy, there's a raccoon, even though right. he doesn't like to be called a raccoon, you know, yeah. rocket. Uh, there's a tree <laughs> and there's Gamora and there's Drax, all these non-earthly beings. And, but they still have they still at their core want to have a family, want to have like a group of people that they can call their own, call their own family. And, and that's where the Guardians of the Galaxy constantly 
you know, goes from back and forth to, are we a team? Are we not a team? Do we agree? Do we not agree? And that's as the character, you can relate to that because I'm sure there's tons of moments in our lives where we've had not only family, but friends where you're unwavered. Are we close? Are we wavering? Where, where are we in this dynamic of the world? And then when it comes to even grander aliens, that's where I think it's just, I mean, most of the time it's for like, like that Star Wars, like, oh, we're going to a new planet, like Star Trek. Let's explore this new right. planet. Let's explore this new alien race and let's see what they are. And then if, if they go dive even deeper, then you find the dynamic of those alien races and what they represent. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm going to nerd out in my own way here because um, I am, despite me not really being like a, a Marvel guy, I'm a big like sci-fi guy. And so to me, it like opens up this, this whole notion and, and ideology of like what else is out there and recognizing that we aren't alone. I'm just, I'm like going yeah. like full, full yeah. uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson right now. Keep going. Like, yeah, like, you know, on other planets, I mean, we, we think of aliens as, as such others, but like there probably is a planet out there with some like little tree dude that just wants to like kick it, you know? <laughs> There, there has to be. There has there's to so, be. There's so many planets there out there. Has to be, there Josh. has to be, Josh. There has to be. Oh my gosh. Okay. If you so, could, if you could have any power, what would you choose? Oh, that's really tough. Um, honestly, I think I would probably choose. Oh, that's so hard. I was gonna say either like invisibility or mm. the ability to read minds, but both of those are because I'm like a nosy bitch and I'm like, <laughs> I wanna know what people are saying about me and and I would just get myself into trouble and I would end up becoming a super villain because every everything I heard would make me so mad, you know? Um, so I'm probably better off without a power. Okay, if you were invisible, where would be the first place you'd wanted to put your nose in? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Um, I should have given you these questions earlier. So I know I, I gave, I gave you a little time to prep on that Marvel for dummies thing, uh, which was brilliant by the way. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think, yeah. Like if there's a friend that I'm like fighting with or something, maybe I would like, like send a friend a text or ask a question that I've like always wanted to know the answer to, and then like go hide and like see their reaction when they really get it. And then I'll be like, ah, now I know what you're actually. Well, I thought you said you need to hide to be invisible, but you don't well, be hiding. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the power would be so fresh that I would forget. <laughs> I'd be out of curtain, even though. Right, exactly. Exactly. Okay. What about you? The power to create and destroy things with my mind. Oh, that's so much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say there was like, you know, something that was broken, like let's say uh, tickets or a car or a plane that needed to be repaired. I can repair that with my mind. Let's say someone has a broken heart. I can repair that with my mind. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So I like the ticket. That, yeah. I like the ticket one too, although you could just use scotch tape, but you could just yeah, you could use it. <laughs> no, I like, you're being creative with it. I like it. And I like that yours wasn't like, you know, your, your reasoning wasn't like world domination. Like I'm going to create all the money and power. All um, the money. Yours is like, I'm going to put tickets back together. <laughs> like, tickets to wear, ticket. tickets to wear, Josh. Oh, Maybe someone lost their ticket, broke it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you're such, such a nice guy. Oh my gosh. Speaking of tickets um you you've hosted panels at comic-con i assume that you need a ticket to go to comic-con right that was my yes. my segue there yeah, like, this is a natural flow yeah um what's comic-con like like what's it like interacting with the marvel fans oh my goodness comic-con is one of my favorite things of the year there's new york comic-con there's san diego comic-con san diego comic-con is way way bigger it's just it, it's 
all these huge fans, not only just in comics, but in, in TV shows and movies come together and celebrate their fandom. You have cosplayers, you have people that just love trading comics and, and trading merch and buying merch. And I was so lucky to have gone, I think four or five times before COVID hit. And there hasn't been one since then. Yeah. And I get to host on their, on their Marvel stage. There's two areas of it. There's the actual stage where everyone can just come up and just watch what you're doing and it's broadcasted live onto their channels. And it, we can do anything from video game tournaments to interviews to showcases. And then there's also the live booth element to it where it's constantly live the entire time. And from there, you typically interview stars and talents from movies, TV shows, and editors from comic books. And it's, it's, there's nothing like it. It's okay. So I, you, you love music, right? I remember yeah. you like go to a lot of concerts. Yeah. If you took like an EDM concert and Coachella and brought it together, it, it, that's the feeling it feels like everyone is just on this euphoric high of, of just happiness. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so fun. I mean, even not as like a, a comic book fan, seeing the video, seeing the photos from Comic-Con, uh, the sense of community and yeah. um, like you said, just that energy. And I think being in a space, no matter no matter what your thing is, being in a space with like-minded people and everyone's just there celebrating the same things and excited about the same things. Um, I mean, you always hear stories about like people coming out of Comic-Con and having made new best friends and stuff. Yeah. So I feel like that's uh, such a cool thing, again, that you get to go there and interact with these people who are living their best lives and are just like on cloud 999 and, and you're getting paid for it. Like how dope is that? It's, I mean, I've never went to Comic-Con before that because it's so hard to get tickets. Yeah. And being able to, I, I it's so awesome that I can't imagine going to Comic-Con not working there anymore. Right, right. Because you, you, it's just, you get to enjoy all of it, but the comfort and safety of your own personal space, which is really important, especially now with you know everything that's going on in the world, personal space is very it's, it's very important to, to yeah. everyone. Oh yeah. And one of my favorite memories of Comic-Con was this place, this place called Hall H where they do all of the big announcements, all of the big new trailers, new uh, video game announcements. And Marvel Games had a, a panel there and they invited me to speak, me and Nori Davis, they got to, we invited us to speak to unveil a new Marvel video game in front of, I think there's like 3,000 to 5,000 people in this, in, this, in this venue. It's wow. huge, huge place. And I got to work opposite Greg Miller, who's a huge fan, a huge, I'm a huge fan of his. I, he totally inspires me. He used to host for IGN. Now he does his own stuff for Kind of Funny. And he's like, bring it to the stage, Josh Soleil. And I'm like, he got to introduce my name, like freaking out. Like I couldn't believe it. And I just got to like tell all these people about this new game. And I was just, it was insane. That's insane. so cool. I mean, so you mentioned, you know, at Comic-Con, in addition to, to hanging with fans, you're also doing panels and interviewing uh, the celebrities and, you know, the the superheroes. Uh, and you also do that on the red carpet. Like I said before, yeah. you are interviewing celebrities on the red carpet for all of these movie premieres. I mean, how many just like incredible, like bucket list life moments have you had working for Marvel? It. I, I can't even count them anymore, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> the first premiere I did was for Endgame, which was debatably the biggest Marvel movie ever of our time, next to right. Infinity War, in my opinion. And it was a culmination of so many years, so many movies and so many actors. And just being able to see all of these incredible people, just get, get, being able to interview them, watching a the movie with them, getting to celebrate after with them. 
I, I was like, this can't be real. Like how, how, because I'm not the type of person that, that believes like, oh, I should be here. I deserve to be here. I'm a type, you know, I don't, I don't have those thoughts. I go, I can't believe I'm here. They have to have the wrong person. There's no, <laughs> there's no way this is what's happening. Uh, and it, I don't get starstruck because I was an actor for so long and it feels like we're all working together. Like we're all here representing the movie. But there is this sense of awe and and childlike incredibility that you're just you're it's an incredible you can't imagine the moment that you're in. So being able to to talk to Taika Waititi, who's an incredible person, Simu Liu, and the list goes on. There's so many people that that you can just feel their energy and feel everything that they've worked hard on, and they finally can just take a breath and be like, "Here it is. I can finally show the world. I hope you enjoy it." Yeah. Do you have any favorite um, moments from interviewing any of the celebs on the red carpet? I, I do. Uh, so one of my favorite person to interview is Victoria Alonso. She's an exec- executive producer. She's been with Marvel Studios since the beginning. And she's one of the main architects next to Kevin Feige. And she is one of the sweetest person in the world. She remembers me now, which is insane to, to have that. And she'll like grab your hand and look you in the eyes and go, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. And go, me, thank me. Why are you <laughs> thanking me? <laughs> no, you, thank you. And she just really makes you feel important, which it's really incredible to, to feel that way in a moment where we're celebrating her and her accomplishments. Uh, on the other side of that is Simu Liu, who is- Oh, he's so great. So, so great. And he's a gamer. So being able to just talk to him about video games and and joke with him and improv with him during the interviews, he just goes with it. Yeah. So he, he's a really down to earth guy and super fun. Um, one of my favorite moments, not interview wise, which you'll really like this story. So during Endgame premiere, I went to the bathroom and I'm using the urinal and Chris Pratt walks in and starts using the urinal like down and he starts singing. He's like, I was born by the river. And I was like, okay, I have a couple options here. I can just keep peeing and pretend this is not happening or I'm going to sing with him. Yeah, you so I in. start I start singing with him. I go, a change will come. And <laughs> we both look at each other and we start laughing as we're still peeing. And then he goes, he's like, thank you so much for singing with me. I was like, yeah, enjoy your movie, dude. <laughs> oh my God. How amazing. Like a, a mid-piss duet with Chris Pratt. That's iconic, epic, goes on the top of your resume. Oh, that's actually how I should put my cover letter next time. <laughs> totally, totally. Oh my god, that's so funny. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, have there been any awkward encounters? Um, I mean, that that seems like it should have been at the top of that list, but it, it's not. So, are there? Have there been any? Um, I mean, okay, let let's rephrase it because I don't want you to get any of the uh, any of the Marvel peeps in trouble. Uh, tell me, have, have you ever been super awkward in an interview, or have you ever embarrassed yourself in front of any of these people? Yeah, great question. Um, I've definitely felt awkward when when the talent would bring multiple people on stage that I'm not prepared for. Right. I'm like, oh no, I don't know these people's names. I don't know and the relation of this person. And for me, I want everyone to be included in the party. I want to I want to talk to everybody because if they're coming on stage with us, we they should have a voice. Yeah. And so I'll start interviewing the 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 friends that they brought. And it, sometimes it's like we need to put the focus on the person that that it's the movie is about. So I always get flushed and go, oh, we need to talk to everybody. Like, hello, what's your name? <laughs> I like, pass the mic around. Yeah, pass the mic around. It's like, no, no, bring it back. Bring it back to the talent. Back to the talent. Yeah. So that's that's when I get flustered because I'm like, and then I'm like, hey, what? 
talking to my producer, do we know this person's name? How do we pronounce it? How do we pronounce it? And I'm like trying to vamp while I'm trying to wait for the name to say it the yeah. correct way. It's a beautiful day here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, Hosting can be intense in that way because it is unscripted and there is so much that can happen and you're trying yeah. to you know actively listen while still thinking of okay how do i respond and then segue into the next question yes. and so i mean it is really really tough um but i mean you're you're such a pro i i did not watch the marvel movies but i did watch your sizzle reel and oh, you're you. so good so i mean you you know you might not necessarily always feel like you're meant to be in these spaces but uh the work says otherwise. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I I just have a few last little questions, and these might get you in trouble with the Marvel fans, depending on how you answer. Because um, I know it's for me, it's probably very similar to like the Real Housewives. Like people take it really seriously, and when there's like mm -hmm. a feud or there's like fighting, and you pick sides, the other side is like you're dead to me. So I don't know if it's like that in Marvel, or if like you're <laughs> you're team one versus team the other. But I want to know. Who is your favorite Marvel superhero? You can only Ooh, pick one. Spider-Man, easily, hands down, immediately. Okay, okay. So now this might be where you get in trouble. Oh, God, I know what you're going to ask me. <laughs> Who, which which Spider-Man yep. is the best Spider-Man? you got Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland, and Andrew Garfield. Which is the best? <laughs> Everyone always asks me this question. Uh, I will say they are all amazing in their own incredible way. That's bullshit, uh, John. <laughs> such a bullshit answer. Okay, uh, here, I'll make it a little bit less. Um, I started with Tobey Maguire. I grew up with Tobey Maguire and those movies will always be forever in my memory. Mm -hmm. And they are some of the most, the one of some of the greatest superhero movies in terms of Spider-Man of our, of our time. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Garfield is such an amazing actor and his relationship with Emma Stone is just so beautiful. And it's one of the strongest loves that I've ever seen in Spider-Man represented. And so I absolutely love that. Uh, Tom Holland, I think, does an incredible job balancing Peter Parker and and, and Spider-Man that a way we've never seen before. Okay, cool. So you give props to all of them. Yeah. I, I, I okay. Props. So I haven't seen any of the Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield ones. So I'm like, probably shouldn't speak to it. But from an outsider's perspective, the vibe that I get is like, Andrew Garfield's too hot to be Peter Parker. Um, Tom Holland, I think, kind of is from what I see, he is like the most emotional portrayal of Spider-Man. Like he is like a, like everything I very see wrong. all of, yeah, all of the clips of like him and Zendaya and everything, it seems like very heartfelt. And then Tobey Maguire, I think was the epitome of like nerd culture, Spider-Man, Peter Parker. And I think that that was really when comic books and superheroes and all of this uh, had its, its, big, big like pop culture comeback was was those Tobey Maguire, uh, yeah, the the Kristen Dunst era Spider-Man, you know, yeah. the upside down kiss and all of that. Yeah. I mean, that became such a, a piece of pop culture, like it's, it's in the zeitgeist forever, you know? So I think that that's when regular people and not just nerds were like, oh shit, this is, this is cool. And like, everyone started to like it. And like, look where we are now, you know, like you said, there's what 3,900 of these movies. It's wild. <laughs> Over 9,000. Yeah. So and like, the, yeah. <laughs> thanks Toby Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you can't forget about Uncut Jams. Uncut Jams, right? <laughs> Did you know I was the muse for that movie? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, 
I guess that's it. Oh, do you have a favorite super villain? I've always kind of Ooh. leaned towards the villains. I'm I'm like a villain kind of guy. That's a really good question. I love Magneto. Um, he he's just he could arguably be a hero or villain. I think he's definitely a villain, but can sway the other way in certain moments. But he's just such a his backstory is he was a kid during the Holocaust and he found out he had powers and and that you know as Jewish as a Jewish person that really like hits hard home to me. It's just that it's this incredible storyline where he's fighting for his people. And the way he fights, though, is very villainesque. Right. Villainous. And, and you're like, okay, but you like shouldn't kill those people. You don't have to. Or he's like, no, I have to. And you're like, okay, well, I get it. But like, you don't right. have to do it. There's <laughs> always some, there's like some reason there's a crux to why they became a supervillain. And like, typically it's pretty relatable. TBH, yeah. I get it. You know, um, <laughs> like I said, I didn't, I didn't watch, I, I haven't seen most of the Marvel movies, but I did watch WandaVision oh, and so good. so good. But once again, like my favorite character was Agatha. I was like, this yeah. bitch gets it, you know? She's so good. If you would like WandaVision, definitely see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness because okay. she's going to, Scarlet Witch is also going to be in that movie. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, I am so excited. I am going to dive into this cinematic universe. You have you have got me hooked now. Now that I don't have like a time crunch to do it in, I can do it. I'll, I mean, I'll get it done by the time I'm like 55. Oh, so I'll talk to you in 2020, 2035. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm super excited about it. Josh, thank you so much for joining me. This was such a good time. It's always great to catch up with you. And we, we can't go another decade without seeing each other. That's bullshit. Yes, Blake, let me know if you're ever in Los Angeles. I'll do the same if I'm in Arizona. It was uh, so good to talk to you. Thank you. Of course, of course. Wait, really quick before you go, tell everyone yeah. where they can find you on social media, keep in yeah. touch. Yeah, I'm Josh Soleil. You can find me on at Josh Soleil on Instagram, at Josh D. Soleil on Twitter or joshsoleil.com to make it easy for you. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.